You can find out more on my Instagram at Quiet Fire Radio. Welcome back to Quiet Fire. You're with Jeremy. A very happy Saturday to everyone out there. You're listening to Two Triple R, and I do now, fortunately, have a guest all the way from cold, freezing Melbourne. This is Zoe Fox of Zoe Fox and the Rocket Clocks. How are you today, Zoe? Apart from being freezing, very well, thank you. <laughs> I was just saying off air a moment ago that it is similar conditions in both Sydney and Melbourne, unfortunately, but somewhat fortunately. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic and um, any excuse to sort of not encourage us to go outside, I think, is a good thing at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the ultimate staying in bed weather and situation, definitely. So- so speaking of pandemics, you have very, very bravely released your debut album during the pandemic on March 21, just a few weeks ago. The album's called Clockworks. Tell me about how it's going for you. Yeah, it's going good, actually. Surprisingly good. I've sort of always been a bit of an old person when it comes to the internet and doing things from the computer. I'm like always kind of like, okay, how do I do this? Where's that button that does this? So um, putting the album out online was a huge technological breakthrough in my life, I think. And yeah, it's gone really well. It's just encouraged me to think outside the, the rocket clocks box and kind of get creative in doing new, like finding new ways to connect with my rocket clocks family and all the people that listen to it, like doing live Instagram shows and stuff like that. Well, congratulations, because there has been a few people have been putting their album releases off. And I think that it's the the people who do release their albums during this time, it's going to be hugely advantageous. One, because they've got some content to market. Two, because there's more people who are listening to music, I think, at this time. I can't think of a better time to put out a, an album now. <laughs> like all these people, are, yeah, they've got time to listen. Absolutely. And you live streamed a couple of elements of the launch as well. Talk me through how that happened as someone who's sort of self-described as a little bit old school in the, in the marketing arena. Well, Tell me a little bit. We haven't had our official launch yet. We just um, have been doing like live shows on Instagram, but it's been good doing that. It's been really helpful. So the launch has been pushed back to, I think, October. Is that right? You've still, you're still adamant that that date's going to be okay for you guys to go on tour? Yeah, I guess we're just going to... It's sort of just at the time where you've got to see how it goes, I think, at the moment. I guess we're not sure if things and venues will still be closed or if they'll reopen up. But, yeah, we've kind of pinpointed and, like, rain-checked it to October for now. Hopefully that goes ahead and we can have, like, a... Hey, remember that album that we put out in, you know, the start of the year? Let's have the party for it now. (laughs) Absolutely. And the other part of it that I found really interesting going through some of the album, I'll repeat the name, it's Clockworks again, going through the collateral for it, not only have you released it online, but you're actually also doing a vinyl pressing. Yeah. Tell me about how did you come to the decision to do that? I mean, I'm a vinyl obsessive. I love vinyl. I have plenty of it. But the uh, futuristic element of the band and uh, alongside the vinyl pressings was a really interesting choice for me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a bit of a um, magic trick or something, isn't it? Like, it's all new, but then it's actually coming out on a really old format. Yeah, I just thought, like, lots of 
I don't know. I just guess I was exploring the relationship between that, like the old and the new. And um, I thought that most of the people that listen to our music are also happen to be into like that old tangible kind of, yeah, format as well. Like having, being able to hold a vinyl in your hands. You know, no one's really buying CDs anymore, are they? I think it's really cool because the, a big part of the aesthetic of the band, I guess, is that sort of, correct me if I'm wrong, but there's a little bit of a 60s does the future aesthetic. I'm kind of reminded of, you know, if you've ever seen the original Fahrenheit 451 or those kind of vintage futurist films. Mm, I love them. I, that's totally what I was going for. I'm really glad that you said that. Yeah, nailed it. But philosophically, you like were... 1960s lost in space. So ah, good. yes, of course. Philosophically, the music is also, you've got this kind of obsession with robots, which was such a big thing in the, in the 60s as well. But robots and their relationship to humans, you wanted to sort of look at the emotional side, I guess, of this futurist world. I think a lot of the lyrical content is focused on. What, what is it that's got you so interested in that sort of cyborg emotional thing? <laughs> um, honestly, I think just like a lot of relationships gone wrong when I've realised that my sort of ex-partners were like very similar to robots. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that's what initially inspired it. Just being like, really? You don't have the empathy function? That's interesting. <laughs> Let's look into that. <laughs> and what about the, the sort of legacy of, God, I hate this term, but of the dress-up bands? A few people have compared you to the B-52s in aesthetic, but also... There's obvious things like Devo as well, but when I first saw you, the first band I thought of was the Flaming Lips and that the way that the aesthetic is so deeply entrenched in the way the music is created as well. Can you talk to me a little bit about the sort of inspirations behind your live aesthetic and, and everyone wearing the costumes and all of that? Yeah, I guess I like to kind of create worlds. Like I like to create a full experience of being somewhere else and I've always loved kind of dressing up I've got a, a an enormous costume collection <laughs> at home, and I just thought that yeah, I liked I like the idea in my head. My band isn't just a band; it's like a space crew, and we're like going through on this like journey through different sounds, and we like we can land on different planets and like explore disco planet and get kind of sucked into time warps and get a bit psychedelic and then yeah because there's so many like infinite possibilities in space I think that that kind of gives us the freedom and liberty to like explore anything we want because there is infinite possibilities. That's very cool if we continue exactly that metaphor who who were the other members of the space crew of the rocket clocks one of the biggest things that stands out to me listening to particularly that new album of yours is the bass groove. Who's the bass player? Who writes the bass lines? Or, and who is the, in the members of the extended crew who are exploring space with you? Well, on the record, it was just I, my, none of my live band actually played on the record. So I, I write all the songs and, and then just sort of get bass players and guitarists who I like. I like their, their energy and their minds and then they get to be the live band but Tobias Priddle otherwise known as Tidge he and I figured out some bass lines on the album together and played them in like I'm I'm playing bass on the album <laughs> in yeah, some right. of the tracks yeah so have you got an extensive um, yeah, sort of musical background got, 
Oh, sorry. I was just going to say Shelby Wilton is the, the live bass player and she kind of takes the bass lines from the recordings and makes them her own for the live shows and she just totally holds it down. Yeah, right. Yeah. So you played all of the instruments across the album. Tell me about your musical past and how you've become so adept at all of these instruments. Well, I didn't play every single one on the album. Me and Tidge played them together, just depending on who could kind of do it the quickest because we were trying to smash it out. And... um. But I guess, yeah, I can play like drums and a little bit of bass and guitar and I play guitar and keyboard live and on the record. Yep. And I'm doing all the backing vocals and stuff as well. I think Tidge sings on a few of them when we were just kind of like getting excited about new bits, being like, oh, do you want to do one? And I'm, yeah, can you just give me like a real deep robot thing under there? But yeah, I guess I, I play like whatever I can get my hands on. I've been playing the dulcimer this week. Um, I play the harp. Cool. Yeah. And there's a there's a big element as well of sampling in there. I think it's I've forgotten the name of the track. I'm sorry, but I'm I'm gathering there's that track sort of two thirds the way through the album, and it, I take it's your grandfather or something who is. Oh uh, yeah. Can you tell me about yeah, that and how that came to be? Totally. So those sections I've called them Earthling interlude, like they're Earthling interludes, and that's sort of like. I've taken on this artificial intelligence persona and I'm interviewing like a, a human, I guess, or an earthling about different topics that the songs talk about. And so I got my, I actually just went over and had like a cup of coffee with my granddad and he is, you know, like old people are kind of stereotypically not very good with keeping up with technology, right? Yeah. Not to make huge generalization, but I'm doing it. But my granddad is actually awesome at it. And he's, like, got the latest everything and, like, has, like, an Apple Watch and, like, laughs at me for my, like, clunky big brick phone. Uh-huh. And, is like, like, he's, like, oh, what? Have you only got, like, an iPhone 6? So he's, like, you know. And so he is just, like, an incredible kind of tech whiz for, like, an, a man in his 80s. And um, he's just got some really weird kind of kooky ideas about the world because he's, like, I don't know, a bit like straighty 180, I guess. I just recorded our conversation with his permission over coffee and just said like, oh, can you, you know, talk a bit about robots or like what do you think about time and space? And then I went home and cut up those voice memos and then chose the bits that I lacked and then played synths under them and made them all myself on Logic and yeah. It's very cool. It sounds like you come from a um, a long line of futurists in that case. <laughs> Maybe, Yeah. I don't know. I think the the whole clock theme, like rocket clocks and like clockworks, that was sort of inspired by him as well because he was a like collector of clocks. When I was like a kid and I'd go and visit my nan and granddad, their whole house was filled with different clocks. And when it would reach the hour, the whole the kitchen would go off and there'd be like a train noise with the train clock going through and then there'd be the big grandfather clock dinging and donging and little like native Australian bird clock that would make different bird calls on different hours <laughs> and the cuckoo clock. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And his so, house well, is still like that to this day. No, he actually, when my nan passed away, he just kind of sold all his clocks and I don't know. He's got, I think like one grandfather clock now yeah, right. or a couple, but he just kind of, yeah, gave them all away and stuff, which is super sad. I wish I had them all, but I was also like, well, where am I going to put like a hundred clocks? <laughs> I, I guess before we all had iPhones and before the internet, then the 
concept of having a device that was able to tell the time more ac- accurately than others was sort of something that was um, desirable. But now we're all yeah. sort of stuck in a loop and we're all stuck to the same time anyway. It's less desirable now, right? Yeah. Yeah, I suppose so. And I thought like also for, for someone who had so many clocks, surely he would have some interesting stuff to say about like time. Like I thought he might, you know, think about the concept of time. And it was so funny in Earthling Interlude number one on the, or 1.0 on the album, I sort of say like, what do humans think of time and space? And he says, oh, no, I don't really think about time and space. No. It's just like, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so simple and so hilarious. I just thought I have to put that in. That's gold. It's yeah. so interesting when I listen to the way the album plays out that on Clockworks, the way the track list is designed, two of the strongest songs of the last two songs of the album, how did you come to sort of organize and arrange that track list? I don't know. I just sort of had it a way that I thought it was going to go. And then it was taking me so long to finally decide. And I was like, oh, I've just got to hurry up and like make this record. So I just sat down with like a bottle of wine with two of my best friends in a shack in the woods. And we just played through the album songs. And we just like they just helped me because I was so stuck. And I just owed the big time. We just had little ice creams and chose the track list and went, yeah, <laughs> it's got to be that. Yeah, no, it works really well. So you've talked quite a bit in that, you know, you've been stuck and pushed things through quickly and things like that. How long has it actually taken to record the album? I know that the songs have been written over quite a long period of time, but recording the album from start to finish, how long did that take? I think I did it in, I think it was around like a week or two weeks. Yeah, maybe a week and a half of like lockdown. <laughs> and the songs were all yeah. completed by the time you took them to the studio. Was there still a little bit of figuring out and and that kind no, of? No, some some of them I had just like all the or most of the words and the the progression and the format of it. And then I really like making stuff up in the studio, like writing while I'm in the studio. So um, the last track, Tin Can Man. A lot of that was actually written in the studio. Same with Shiny Car. Like I'd written the words, but I wrote a whole new verse. And then like Tin Can Man, I think I was even improvising some of the lyrics in the recording. Like I was just singing and they were coming out. Tell me a little bit about the sort of the history of the band. So you released your first single back in 2017 and the band had existed for a year or so before that. What? Yeah. What what what's the trajectory that you feel like you're on? Where are you at in terms of your own growth within the band, and and where do you see yourselves going? Ooh, so I'm just so like busting to make another record already. Like I'm so happy that I've got one, but I just want to. I guess for ages I was terrified of recording, so I would play live shows every week before I would even have like a song on Spotify or something like that. Like I've been playing gigs for ages. Live shows has been where it's been at for me massively. But now that I've like, I think I've caught the recording jitters or something. I suspect it's like when you get a tattoo and then you're like, I've got to get another tattoo now. Yeah. So people say, but now I've got a record. I'm like, okay, time to make the next record. And like yeah. the band members, since the first single was released, like the entire band members have changed. Even the costumes have evolved. And I just want to keep changing and evolving and just making songs that, 
you know, like the, the sounds that I can hear in my head. I really want to practice getting that into the recorded world. You know, this is drawing a long bow, but nonetheless, you just, in what you just said, it sort of reminded me that the Beatles didn't, do you remember they didn't record, they didn't actually perform live for the last four or five years of their, of the band together. They just got obsessed with recording and they just sat in the studio and recorded and recorded and they just lost any interest in, in performing live. Yeah. How does that happen? What's sort of changed for you in the last little while that recording is, has taken a priority? I mean, it's a great time for that to happen as well, isn't it? Yeah, totally. Well, I guess, I mean, the pandemic, like I'm not even allowed to really play live. I still go live at five on my Instagram just so that I, I don't know, it's a really good release of built up energy, I think, to perform live and to share that with the knowledge that it's kind of draped in a melancholic chic and that it will pass you know once the performance is over it's like oh that's something that happened that we all shared together and it's never going to happen again the same performing live is really magical for that reason I think and recording I just think that I don't know you write a song but then it's like okay I've taken this song as far as I can on my own there's only a point of like okay I've got a drum loop going and playing the keyboard I'm singing I want it to be a foxtrot. I want it to be this. But then you're like, recording just opens up a whole other world of sounds and you, you get creative in new ways that you can make it build and, and it just exists like that forever. And it, you can hear this exact same performance over and over again. It's like capturing a moment in time or something. Who are the, the Rocket Clock sort of bandmates down in Melbourne that when you get to go on tour in October that you're going to take on the road with you and you just you can't wait to go out and watch them play? Or- the rest of the band. Oh, so there's Shelby. She's the bass player. She is just such a gun. She's so fun. She's so funny. Um, and, yeah, Zach Terry. He's well. The, all of them have got their own projects as well. So Shelby's got a, a band called Mama Ganoush. That's her project. And Zach has got Zachy T. He just released a really cool song called Magic Man that I love. And then the drummer kind of changes depending on who's available and who's not. But at the moment and recently on tours, it's been Dylan Young from Way Dynamic. Yeah, he really holds it down. It's just so that's we're just the ultimate little team. And our tours have just been a family holiday. So, so much fun. Like staying up at night and playing Truth or Dare. It's like a sleepover for a week. Well, there's no doubt, Zoe, that when I listen to your music, I have no question that the music making process and everything about it is a fun experience for you. And it's all, it's very much joyous and positivity. And that's what sort of reminded me so much of the Flaming Lips when I originally saw you. But uh, what's also interesting to me is that I have to keep reminding myself that the band is from Melbourne. Melbourne is known for almost the opposite sort of dark brooding insular music and you're kind of quite deep in a scene that is almost the opposite of your aesthetic do you do you notice that or am I kind of am I I'm only thinking one type of Melbourne music oh there's so many weird things going on in Melbourne all the time but yeah I guess it's known for like kind of a grungy punky kind of sticky floor scene lots of yeah (laughs) do you know what I mean by sticky floor like just like pubs with like beer all over the floor and people like, yeah, and like not dancing at gigs. Yeah. Yeah. I think I just, I don't know. I'm just doing what I like because that's what I want to hear. <laughs> 
So no, I don't know anyone else that's making it. So I've got to make it myself, I guess. <laughs> that's exactly the right attitude, Zoe. Thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Mm, if, thanks for having me. That's all right. Not a problem. If I was sitting at home wondering what song should I start listening to Zoe Fox and the Rocket Clocks with, what's your one song? I know it's like choosing between children, but see how you go. My one song. That you would you would pick for someone to introduce to the band. I would say, well, Fists is our, it's not on the album, but that's our most popular song. And I feel like it's a good kind of taste of all the flavours. Like it's got some spacey sounds, but it's also like a bit poppy. But I would say if you're going to listen to it, I'd just go from the start of the album, from Perfume, first track, through to the end, and then you'll know. <laughs> Absolutely. Because it spans so many, like perfume compared to say tiny little robots is like totally different planets. You're not wrong. And might I just shout out that the um, the music video for Fist is actually incredible. It's one of those <laughs> it's one of those music video ideas that I watched, and I just thought, how has no one thought of this before? Like I just thought it was such <laughs> such a cool concept, and and as you said, it's a great song as well. But Zoe, thank you so much for joining us on Quiet Fire. I can't wait for October ish. Let's call it October ish when you yeah. get to Sydney. Zoe Fox and the Rocket oh, Clocks. Their awesome. record came out on March twenty one. The record is called Clockworks. We are going to go out now with the opening track of that called Perfume. Zoe, do you want to just give me an introduction to Perfume before you go? Yeah, this is what I always start the live sets with, and it was inspired by the novel Perfume, The Story of a Murderer. 